the difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position? I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom, and I go to make sure that they have it. Welcome back to Pulp Clifton. Very excited to be doing Braveheart today. We've got Ryan Dozier with us. Ryan, how we doing? Pretty good. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, this was a long overdue pod. Certainly in my top two, three favorite movies of all time. Um, saw it early on. Absolute classic. Mel Gibson. Ryan, why are we doing Braveheart? Can uh, can can you curse on this thing? <laughs> you yeah, know, I get stuck one of those little little ease, <laughs> little black ease. Can you show this to my parents? No, I think that the little explicit, yeah, the little explicit ease is going to just show up on Spotify. But you know, to each his own. Yeah, okay, no problem. It's a fucking classic frankly and it, it's just kind of one of those check the box situations that like if you're gonna do a podcast of this nature you, you just kind of need to you need to do it well this thing pretty much correlates itself with any any male under the age of 30 years old we can only we can only hope that we would aspire to be somebody like william wallace um william wallace was seven feet tall <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> when is the first time that you saw this movie? Do you remember? Uh, dude, so it's funny if the for at least people that live uh, where I uh, where, where we're all kind of from, more or less my people, Dallas. Uh, they may remember a company called Clean Flicks, which definitely, definitely, definitely impinged upon some. Uh, some sort of copyright, but they basically would take these R-rated movies and like uh, it was a, it was a Christian group, and they would just delete out all the all the nudity scenes and beep out all the cuss words. Dude, <laughs> my dad, yeah. my dad was basically just like, I don't know how far how far spread Clean Flicks was, but my dad was like, again, this is a fucking classic, and like my children need to see this movie but like i'm well, sure you said those Murren, exact same words as, as he showed you a cleaned up version yeah yeah and uh like i'm probably in like like the i was i was in the the late single digits probably maybe nine maybe more like 11 but uh he was like my my kids need to see this but they don't need to see uh Murren, uh you know in the in the wedding scene per se uh and so we got that and we watched it at a young age and it was it was a good time and i've seen i've seen the original cut many times since dude to your point i so we never had some sort of a accountability trademark in peter but uh they went out of business hard and fast (laughs) yeah it sounds like there's some legality issues what i had was my uncle who would he would record all of these classics and then he would splice out all of the uh, anything that would make a PG movie, PG thirteen rated R, anything like that. And then, and then you think that we're just it's a legitimate service, <laughs> yeah. Like you know, a Christmas story, or and I watched that you know growing up, and my dad was like, I don't know why we're watching this. And then my uncle would come in with this this DVD, and just everything was clean. I'm like, why is my dad tripping over this? So I, I had my own personalized kind of cleanup crew. Clean flicks. <laughs> but frankly, I'm not Your uncle exactly was a one-man sure. clean flicks consultant. Clean flicks. I'm not exactly sure how much of Braveheart you could watch um, if they're getting rid of all of the... It, it, are you saying it just got rid of, like, nudity and, like, one bad... Yeah, oh, it was super one F bomb. Or Todd, or Todd, my father. I mean, the blood, the blood was a non issue. Okay, so the violence was still in the in, in the, what you watched because it was pretty. It was pretty like they don't really curse in the movie, so like, uh, it was it was really just like the one marriage scene. Like, so it was it was pretty. It was pretty much the same. That's great. Well, just to give some background about you and me, so we were. So we did not, I grew up in Lubbock, you were in Dallas, we both went to A&M, and our friendship turned into our own friendship instead of having uh, mutual friends in between us by, um, there's a week in A&M where everybody's in town, it's called Gigam Week, and there's a full seven days where everyone is there and no one has class, and on the first day, 
one of our buddies said, you guys need to watch Game of Thrones. And there was about eight, what, 18 people, 15 people. Yeah, probably, probably about 18 people in my upstairs that, living room. That showed up in the room to watch the pilot of Game of Thrones. Five seasons were out at that point. And episode one was 18 people. Episode two was like four people. And episode three was just me and you. And we were not. No, no, no. That's, that not even, that's not even what happened. That's not Jake. Jake at the end, he goes, he goes, so who's coming back for episode two tomorrow? And you and I were the only ones that raised our hand. And then Jake texts us the next day, and he's like, sorry, guys, I'm out. So it was episode two on. It was literally just us two. And, like, you you looked at me and you were like, I mean, you want to do this, dude? <laughs> like, we weren't buddies, and we literally ordered pizza and raising canes and chicken and... and oh, a lot of wing stop, a lot of wing stop. <laughs> and we sat there for 50 straight episodes in four days and spent 50 hours together as what started as mutual friends and ended with just a full-fledged friendship and at some point in one of our breaks in between the uh pod in in, in, in between the episodes to like come up to breathe you started doing the the braveheart scottish accent i was like okay i've got i've got my hi i'm william wallace (laughs) they weren't here I can see the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. It's like one of the so, best speeches in movies. Without a doubt. I mean, so before we get uh, into Frankly, too it, short. Too short of a speech. Should have extended. That's on Mel. That's on Mel. Well, and Mel Gibson, he, Mel Gibson. Unless you, he's the star and he directed it. In case you Mel, yeah, so, so uh, Braveheart came out in 1995 in, in May. It cost $65 million to make. $213 uh, million is how much it made. It was directed by Mel Gibson. Uh, before this, Mel was just like Mad Max, um, an Australian actor who somehow changed his accent naturally to where he's just like now an American accent, but then he does a Scottish accent. Um, we'll we'll get that later. Poorly, yes. Uh, directed by Mel Gibson, starring Mel Gibson. It uh, it won Best Picture in 1995. It won Best Director. Mel Gibson won it. He, he's talked about um, the amount of stress that he came under where he, he said he would just get piles of potatoes and he would be eating them in between scenes, trying to keep his weight and his muscle his muscles up and he still would just be losing weight week in week out. So it was stressful on him because it was such a, such a big project for him to co-write, produce, direct and star in. Um, and it, it pretty much is in a, in one sentence, a late 13th century, um, Scottish dude who is trying to find his place in the world where his, his father was a fighter for Scotland he leaves with his uncle, Argyle, and comes back to uh, have to unwillingly defend his country whenever really he's what, what he's trying to do is uh, grow cops, get married, fall in love, and do his thing. So um, let's pick it up there, Doge. Yeah, so I guess probably like we, it, it deserves recognizing that like, it is a very historically inaccurate movie. Uh, yep. Phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Definitely some issues. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as, as much as we love the, uh, the funeral scene where Argyle pops up and he goes, saying goodbye in the wrong way, playing outlawed tunes on outlawed pipes. They definitely, they definitely, definitely, definitely never outlawed the bagpipes like at that period of time. It happened like way later. That that like that's always been something that I, I don't really say out loud very often because I don't want to acknowledge it because like, damn that that shit is that is a, that is a powerful scene. And I love I love Argyle, but also apparently he didn't even really exist. Uh, and William Wallace's dad like in all likelihood like didn't die when he was a kid and actually like probably followed William even in their revolt. It's no problem, you know, like, you know, some creative license with history and like, even, hopefully the Scottish aren't really upset about it either. Like that would be a bummer. But, uh, I think what, I think what I like the most of, or I, I think what like makes the movie like so compelling to me is not just like, Oh, the action and the 
the like accents or like the scenery or <laughs> oh this guy's like a badass but i think i think it's uh the quote that you get really early on from uh william's dad where he's riding off to go to the meeting that he eventually dies at and he looks at william and he goes it's off wits that make us men and that like i think that's really like what makes like this such a compelling story because you have you have a dude who is obviously like super jacked great warrior whatever like also super educated uh, after argyle takes him off and shows him the world uh also like obviously like very high caliber individual like does not want to go back and be you know this uh warrior he wants to you know sit around and like you said raise crops and get back with this girl modern and uh just be like a <laughs> A poor, a poor farm boy, and just like live life idyllically, like back in his uh, his homeland of Scotland. But then at the same time, like, yeah, he's like this phenomenal warrior, but he's also he's also smart, like real smart, and he's just like this very well rounded person that I think like everybody like kind of aspires to be on some level. Like, there's not really an area in which he's deficient. Uh, it, it strikes a chord with me personally just because, like, it reminds me of, like, I'll nerd out here a little bit, but it reminds me of Odysseus from the Odyssey where he's the type of guy who's winning equal parts, like, as a warrior and by, like, being cunning, being smarter than everybody else. Like, when he's, you know, at the uh, Battle of Stirling Bridge, which, another historical inaccuracy, like, in the movie, there's no bridge at the Battle of Sterling Bridge. I mean, I feel like we could have probably found a bridge. No, but no problem. Uh, yeah. Uh, but when he's like, when I give you the signal, but I don't know, back, I let the English see you do it. Like you have these little moments where he, where he has like these strategic breakthroughs where he's just overcoming like immeasurable odds and uh, like using strategy to do it or using interpersonal skills, like where, you know, he is able to recruit the Irish, which apparently also didn't happen, but no problem. Uh, again, no problem. Uh, where he where he brings on uh, the Irish guy, and they're able to like steal forces from the British. Like that's super appealing because he's like very multifaceted. He's not just like this Hercules character who's just like literally can't be destroyed, or you know, like this total nerd that's like sitting in the back, but because he's so smart, like he is super successful. He's multifaceted and he can literally do everything. And I think that's why as like a central figure of the movie, like it makes this whole story compelling. And then on right. top of that, you have his, his motivation is so pure where he's doing it for his people and he's doing it, you know, because they murdered his wife and right, because he on. realizes, geez, dude, just stepping on the plot stepping on the plot over here for well, me it's about, the, it's about the main character first <laughs> true yeah no true i i want to get into where where he's coming from you know what is driving him so in trying to do this in less than 10 seconds um it starts with him as a kid and his dad gets killed trying to stand up to uh, to England, right? King Longshanks, Edward Longshanks. Um, and his dad dies, and his dad's brother shows up at the funeral and picks him up and just says, <laughs> William, I'm your uncle, Argyle. And William is just, he's hes what, eight years old? And he's, he's pissed off that his dad is dead, and he's like, I want to be a great person. And Argyle says, First, I'll teach it to use this. And he points to his brain and he goes, then I'll teach it to use this. And he pulls up his sword and you're like, hell yes. Okay, so that's where it's going to be headed. And there's this random little girl that walks up to William as a kid at his father's funeral and gives Martin. him a flower. Um, and gives him a flower. And that doesn't mean much until finally years later William returns as Mel Gibson as an adult um, as a man to your point there's not this Hercules figure this 
messiah immortal who is going to come back and just lay waste to um an invaded england it's it's very much a man who understands the way the world he is he still remembers this girl they gave him a flower years and years and years ago he finds her um and gives the flower back to court her and he's like i love you i always have (laughs) and uh and, and they're and they're off and they get married um just to lead up to to what say again i'm sorry i think you cut out there a second so so they married in secret and um that's really where the story takes off oh yeah and so then what you have happened is that uh i mean the guards in the town like they they're able to sniff out that you know she was wed in secret because they've got their uh marital bands and what have you and uh yeah they that that's instituted by Longshanks in order to kind of like start to breed out the Scottish people kind of brutal, no problem. Uh, but the, uh, uh, Braveheart's girl, you know, he's, uh, she, or she's got some, she's got a little bit more edge to her than most of the other girls. And, uh, she fights back and that goes poorly and that ends up getting her killed. And so, right. That, that's that's kind of like, I said, uh, Williams, Williams girl has just a little bit more edge than, uh, maybe the rest of them. And she decides to fight back and that ends up being what gets her killed. Uh, because they were trying to, you know, skirt this whole prima nocta situation. And that kind of ends up being kind of the fire for, uh, the rest of the movie and because it, it fires up William and, you know, his, she was kind of his anchor to what he saw his life being like she was she was the foundation of it and so when she goes then uh he realizes that you know their opportunity for freedom is never really going to be there if they don't fight for it because they can just like you know murder a guy's wife or rape her either way and and that's that's what's so awesome about this storyline is that for someone to do something on such such a macro level he was he was ready and urged to do it on a very micro reason right he he came back to scotland because it was home and he came back to marry a girl and have kids and have crops and he wouldn't share her with a english lord and so they got married in secret and because of that they were found out and they slipped and then um he's going all right if i want any sort of a future scotland has to be scotland scotland has to and that is what fuels an entire revolution that's like if benjamin franklin and george washington's girlfriend got absolutely rocked in 1775 you know right so i guess yeah, take us through uh, the, the different battles. From there, uh, you know, William's going to ride back into town. And, you know, it always kind of bothered me as a kid because, you know, like when, you're, when your parents are raising you, uh, you know, lessons are, they're, they're very black and white. You know, they, they tell you, don't lie. And I, I remember very vividly watching this as a kid and asking my dad, like, Dad, when William puts his hands up like that, like, hey, you know, I have no weapons. I'm riding into town unarmed. Don't kill me. And then he pulls out like that big, like nunchuck mace thing. And then, and the deer antler, I was like, dad, like that's definitely a lie, right? Like he's lying. And my dad, (laughs) I remember him. I remember not getting a very satisfactory answer for like my little nine year old brain (laughs) and him being like, well, you know, he didn't say anything like out loud. But uh, he didn't say anything. I, it was, it he's, was, he's just silently going to kill everyone. <laughs> he's like, yeah, but like, it was definitely like misleading. And I was like, dad, d- didn't you say that like being uh, deceptive is the same as lying? Like it doesn't have only to do with your words. And he's like, yeah, you listened. You listened to what I said 
pretty good, didn't you? You're in the fourth grade wondering why <laughs> William Wallace is murdering people with the horns of a deer. With antlers. Yeah, well, <laughs> at the same at the same time, my other thought process was like, shit, like, you know what? A deer antler is like actually not that bad of a weapon. Like that actually worked out pretty well for the guy. You could hit a mean uppercut if you got a deer antler between your fingers. And by the way, this, uh, this whole scene is coming from they slit his wife's throat and he returns to town to just go oh yeah decimate everyone but somehow and we don't really see it but somehow he's got all his boys clued in so they show up and you know like next thing you know we're passing around farm utensils like a big old big old sledgehammer and like a like a pitchfork and shit like that and like 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 one one guy like one guy, like, he's probably kind of rich. Like, he pulls out a sword or, like, he stole it, one of the two. Uh, but, like, he's the only guy. That's the old dude. Uh, like, Mad-Eye Moody's dad. Uh, I don't know the actor's names. But uh, the red-headed dude's, like, old dad. I'll wake you up in the morning, boy. <laughs> that guy. He he had a sword because he's an old-timer. Like, he had been around a bit. But other than that, like, everybody's definitely, like, got their farm utensils going on. And no armor whatsoever. I'll also say, like, going back a scene when, like, right before they kill uh, Murren, like, when, it always struck me, like, when William Wallace, like, trucks that dude into the into the hut and, like, puts his, like, uniform on over his kilt, like, how? And he just, like, runs out of that, he runs out of the hut and, like, falls in line with the rest of the, see, are you picking nits again? <laughs> it's just Stop funny doing that. Like, <laughs> you are supposed it's to be funny to me that like, and this is like, like nobody, nobody recognizes that he's the only one not wearing armor <laughs> in the whole thing, and then he runs off to the forest. I anyway. just I find this the most peculiar place to like lay a platform of it's this movie. Well. Yeah, I mean that's fair. But uh, to me, the movie is bulletproof, which means that you can you can say whatever you want, and it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Uh, like, if anybody else came at it besides me, I'd cut them down. But you haven't. Yeah, you have immunity to. I have to be like. <laughs> okay, great. All right, we'll continue. As the resident expert. Anyway, the back. Yeah, they 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 end up taking out. You know, all the guys when uh, William like rides back into town. Yeah, that's the first. That's the first immediate and very very small victory, but it also gives an idea that okay, William had his wife's throat cut, but for revenge, for an entire village to immediately just say like, yeah, let's kill every English person here, and we have a small army right off the get go. Yeah, and you see, like, I think another thing that's, like, compelling about him is you start to see his uh, apprehension right towards, like, being the yeah, guy that he still looks doesn't like want to do going it. to yeah. be, where he, uh, which I think is another thing that's, like, admirable, because he doesn't, like, doesn't want to be a warrior, but, and, but he, he literally, he truly... Like by the time he's like full thread, full fledged like uh, revolutionary leader, like you have like a very clear picture that he is doing what he's doing out of pure obligation. Like it's not he's doing what he feels like he has to do because of the way that they have been and will continue to be treated by the English, not because of you know the fact that he wants to like he's just out for blood or something like that and um you see that when he he spares like the governor's life uh the guy that killed his wife like he has mercy on him and sends him back as a message rather than killing him then uh the clan over the mcgregors they show up wait hold on well that's not true Oh no, you're right. You're right. He didn't kill him. But <laughs> I mean, he spares. He spares the rest of the those forces. He, he, he most certainly he killed that, that guy. Yeah, he killed that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He killed that guy. But he, uh, but he, he spares the rest of those troops because it's it's not about bloodshed. Is more the point. And uh, so 
then like when the McGregor clan shows up in the middle of the night, for instance, uh, he like tries to turn them away because like, it's not their fight. Like they don't have to be in it yet, but they're like, no, like we, like we want this to be our fight. Like we'll follow you. That's just kind of like how charismatic he is. I think that in a, in a bigger sense, the reason that, uh, 26 years ago, and the reason that that sticks, because if you go rewatch it, like the battle scenes are great, and we're going to get into what makes this movie great, which is the battle scenes, the dominance, uh, the conviction, the leadership, and then the sacrifice, I think is like the big words. But, you know, I remember we had our buddy Skolsky over, and we watched this at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, and it, it had been a hot minute since, since Skolsky had watched this movie and every single time that he talks, you're just like, you're like, okay, I want to be that guy. Like this is, this is in our, in all of our brains as dudes in our twenties, the version of ourselves that we'd like to, to be, which is just the, I pay homage to Scotland. Um, slaves are made in such ways and just like the way that he's able to just get people to follow wanting to be followed because his conviction and his path is it's all right yeah we're gonna kill people but we're killing people who are murdering raping and and just in our people like i'm never gonna find peace i'm never gonna find happiness until we rid of of what's going on here which i think is why you know 26 years later because i mean gosh when you watch like the arrows flying in the air you're like wow those things do not look dangerous <laughs> and and you're watching <laughs> these these fights and stuff you're like i'm not watching this for the gruesome just the gore and like cutting people's heads off i'm watching this because there's like this one dude who is best version of what we could all aspire to be and he absolutely is slaying it and on top of that he has a great Scottish accent which frankly is not so great oh absolutely he, he definitely you know could have you know, taken a couple extra linguistic classes and uh, kind of ironed out the kinks there <laughs> let's let's go straight into uh, the first battle Let's go. Let's go straight to the Sterling Bridge that that has no bridge. Yeah, rest in peace to that bridge. Uh, but I think that it it uh is William does, in a position of power on this battle. No, except for the fact that he's got like he's got all these people that believe in him. They just don't. They don't recognize, you know, who he is. But, uh, they, and he also doesn't represent the uh, the Scottish army, right? He's he's not a he's not a nobleman, and so the vast majority of the armor, army is not there. Like in you know they're not following him, and so he he's got to he's got to ride in there and kind of take charge because the. The individuals, the the noble individuals who uh, showed up, they're really just kind of there to get their own. They oh. they they have massed and walk walk me through this entire scene. This might be the most recognizable and loved scene of the movie. Yeah, so the the nobles have rolled up with their army, and they're brutally outnumbered. And the first thing that pops into their head is like, all right, we're going to need to negotiate because we're going to get our asses whooped. And so we're going to ride out there, and uh, we're going to talk things through with the English boys over there. And uh, really this whole, like, you know, show of force is just to is, – is, is a negotiating tactic in itself. They didn't, you almost get the feeling they didn't even show up in order to actually fight. They just wanted to, like – get as good of terms as they could by showing as much force as they could. Uh, then out from right field rolls in <laughs> William and Hamish and what's the Irish dude's name again? 
the crazy guy, but he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the man. He already I don't there? remember his name. Yo, yeah, he's there. No problem. Uh, they all show up with his crew, which is a tiny crew. It's not a. It's not a significant addition to the forces as assembled at that point. Uh, and so he rolls up, and um, he being William, and looks at the guys and is like, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to go fight today. And they hit him with a this is our army to join it. You give homage. And he responds with a, I give homage to Scotland, like you were saying. And like as they're arguing back and forth, like everybody's looking out at the English and they're all outnumbered and the, the Scottish army starts to get scared and they start to turn tail and bail. And that's when you have uh, you have the whole William speech where he gets out there and gives the uh, you know fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arch situation. Uh, and he rallies a whole army of my fellow countrymen. Here and defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men. And three men, you are. And the whole, the whole bit, the whole. He gives them the whole bit. Uh, 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 Stephen, Stephen's the Irish guy. Yeah, Stephen's my name. That's what he. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> he rallies. He rallies the boys, and like, honestly, it might even be a better quote than the actual speech itself when. <laughs> He goes back to his guys, uh, Hamish and Stephen, and he goes, "Just be yourselves." <laughs> and, and Hamish goes, "Hamish goes, where are you going?" And he goes, "I'm going to pick a fight." <laughs> and he rides out there with the rest of the noblemen. Two, and yeah, boys. two, two, like, and the nobles are expecting to go speak to the English. Of yeah, we're not fighting. We are here to make accords. Yeah, they, the the English because they periodically they're cutting back to the English. They're showing the English, and they're they're just incredibly pompous. Like, absolutely, we're going to roll these people with good reason. I mean, they got to stick up their ass the size of the redwood forest. Like, they are they are feeling they're feeling themselves, and they roll out to this like negotiation, and William just starts circling them on his horse and starts like. Uh, <laughs> dictating terms to him <laughs> and he gets that halfway through and they're like this is absurd and he's just like I'm not finished <laughs> your commanding officer must come out and present himself before this army and stick his head between his legs and kiss his own arse <laughs> literally saying anything that will make the English to rile him up. he's trying to <laughs> yeah. rile him up and they, they go back and report to the English the English lord, and he's like, insolent bastard. <laughs> I, want, I want this Wallace's head on a spike. Right. And so that's when that's when he goes back and tells the nobleman, it's like, it does, you really, like, finally start to see him come into his own where he's actually giving orders, you know, to the nobleman. It doesn't matter exactly. anymore that he's a peasant. Like, this is, he truly believes, like, his, like, role as a leader of this revolution like is his like job it's his job he's not gonna let anybody or anything or any like classist titles what have you like come between that he's gonna uh he's gonna tell whoever what to do because that's what's going to help him accomplish his job which is which he's performing for the entire country like he's just gonna tell him what to do so that's when you really start to see also that other side of him, which is like the clever, cunning side. And uh, he, he tells the nobles to take their cavalry and ride around back and make sure the English see it. So they're even more overconfident than they already are uh, when the cavalry abandons, like supposedly abandons them. And so uh, from there, you kind of get this whole... Uh, situation where the the english use their archers and the scottish kind of like hold out and draw them out into the middle of the field so that those horsemen can flank and take them out and win the battle yep 
and that's like the that's the first time that you see uh the real scottish battle uh the first time that the scottish people see william wallace because up to that point he is a I mean, it's up. It's all a part of lore. It's William Wallace is seven feet tall, and he's like a superhero. And he's like, "No, this is me, and I am one of you. And let's go kick the English's ass out of Scotland because this is what we deserve." I think what's really important to also hit on is Scotland is really trepid to to say no to England because England in this time is by far and away the, the most powerful country in Europe. And well, they France are too, but Scotland in, in, doesn't hold a candle to either one. Totally. But the most, I think the most important part of this is that Prince Robert, the Bruce, who is in line to take the throne of Scotland is an ally to England. So, the reason that William is having to stand up and come up in these ranks and take over armies that aren't even his and then win these battles is because Scotland, in its nature, is still saying yes and yes and yes to England. And it is William Wallace who gets Robert the Bruce, the the heir apparent, to say, this is our country. It's not just we are in no man's land and William Wallace is going to come be our Messiah. It's no, we are kind of our own country under England. And our next guy coming up the rafters is easily on the side of England. And William Wallace is going to have to take however long this movie is, uh, two hours and 20 minutes to convince Robert the Bruce that this is our country. What does it mean to be noble? What does it mean to lead? And if, and if you do lead, then they will follow you. And so will I, some of the best, some of the best shit that I've ever heard in my entire life. I get goosebumps right now. Just thinking about that. Um, so pretty much in a nutshell, William wins that first battle. He most certainly cuts the head off of the, uh, Pontius uh, Englishman who was talking shit at the beginning um, straight into uh, into England where Longshanks the most tyrannous king in the last 200 years is officially afraid of what's going on and he's just like cut the head off the snake make them bail and uh, William has to pretty much go to and say we're going to do some pretty drastic measures to win this battle. Yeah. And I think, I think what's like most interesting about kind of the conversations that Robert, the Bruce and William Wallace start to have is, uh, what you, what you see from Robert is like, he wants, he really, really wants to be William. But he's got this—he's got this dead weight of a dad living upstairs. Got the fucking leprosy. Got the plague. Got to keep him away. <laughs> and then, like, you see it—the first—the first scene that Robert and uh, the dad are in, uh, Robert is already lying about his dad. Like the rest of the nobles don't even know that yeah, his leprosy. dad is upstairs. Well, not e- not even leprosy, but that he's even upstairs. He's upstairs because he has leprosy. Well, dude, I've always understood that. Like, he has leprosy. He doesn't want the people to know. He's he is upstairs, and they don't know that he's sick. Right, right. But they, but even more than that, they don't even know he's like literally upstairs. Like that's how much it is. It could be like, oh, he's like he's sick in France because he tells them, you know, that oh, my dad's out in France, but I I speak on his behalf, like. Not only do they not know his like physical state, they don't even know his physical location. Like that's that's the significance of the the weight that that Robert's father has on him is that he's uh, like he's already lying for him like right off the bat. And then beyond that, he's uh, absolutely pulling him towards the compromise, 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 appeasement. Uh, be with England because it benefits you personally. He's like the utter, utter, with his dad having leprosy, 
like he he knows that he's about to be taking over the country he's also entwined with what his dad has in store for his legacy without him having any say so yeah exactly and and you see kind of like this these these opposing forces where uh you know you have his dad who right off the bat like robert the bruce is lying for he's sitting there saying that he's in france when in actuality like he's upstairs and he's sick uh like the the noblemen don't even know like this guy's physical location much less like his actual like the like the state of his health uh versus the guy that like robert like really 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 wants to be which is william and william wants robert to be like william not out of you know this prideful sense of like william knows he's the man and like you know no that's Robert actually a great man like, the with person him, like, who is the person who is in line for the throne wants to be like william and william doesn't want to be like william yeah and we've hit on multiple times like you know how apprehensive william has been to take on this role and that's just because he's he's a humble like peaceful individual at his core but like at the end of the day he recognizes like someone's got to rise up and do this job and nobody can do it like me so i'm just gonna as much as i don't want to do it so i have to do it yeah yeah so and so he's he's looking at robert to fill that role because he's actually a noble and so he has literally the full package and that's that's kind of what's tearing robert back and forth so real quick let's go straight into the french princess because i mean if we're, if we're talking about finding out whether or not you're a blonde or a brunette guy like i found out that i was a brunette guy my goodness yeah like you know i've never spoken that into uh <laughs> into truth until this moment but. for all the world to hear <laughs> yeah but tell me tell me what happens with uh the involvement of this french princess well first of all she's she's between a rock and a hard place because like she doesn't like her father-in-law like at all because the guy was uh long shanks like and just entirely uh just a heartless asshole trying to take over scotland uh she doesn't like her husband because uh he's gay uh, not that's necessarily a bad thing, but like it's hard to do, you know, in a heterosexual relationship. That's just a difficult thing to process for her. Uh, and so, from that point, like she starts to fall in love long distance before she's even met him via like the stories that she's getting like from her handmaiden, who's like, oh my gosh, like he fights for his lost love and he's so honorable and strong and awesome. And she's like, I got to meet this guy. And, uh, she gets her opportunity when, uh, her husband does not answer, uh, the King's summons to go, you know, negotiate with, uh, William. And so the King sends her instead. And it's another opportunity where you get to see William's, uh just kind of like diversity of character that just makes him all the more appealing where they kind of start to talk shit about him a little bit like in latin and then he just he just pops off in latin he's like basically yeah i speak latin and then he goes or in french if you want uh i don't know what that is in french i don't remember the line but he says it in french uh basically shows him up and it's just like listen i'm i'm here like nothing more nothing less than to like defend my people and their freedom and uh i'm i'm just not gonna roll over for any sort of deal or you know take orders from anybody because we don't have freedom and like that's my role is to make sure that we do and what is the next scene that we see pretty much she falls in love with him yeah i mean it it, it works wonders (laughs) <laughs> and she starts giving him hints pretty much just insight about what the English army is about to do. Um, one of the, one of the great lines is when, when Hamish 
William's right-hand man looks at William, and William's getting just tipped off about what the army's about to try to do. And Hamish is like, I didn't think you were in the tent that long. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, uh, he, he definitely... He definitely doesn't make that level of impression until later on, but uh, it is another forest scene. Let's get into the next battle. Take it from here. Uh, so this one, unfortunately, doesn't doesn't quite go the same direction as the first one, uh, despite you know more promising outcome or uh, uh, more promising uh, signs at the beginning. Uh, we have uh, we have our boy Stephen, the Irishman, who uh, has been claiming somewhat insanely for the entire movie that Ireland is his island. And you're just kind of like, okay, Stephen, okay. <laughs> you, and, you and those big eyes and your crazy bitch ass, check yourself at the door, <laughs> we'll listen to you. But like, <laughs> you're a little, you're a little out there, man. And uh, you know the British give the give the order to send in the Irishman, and everybody kind of like you kind of get the vibe that like something is up because everybody, you know, the quote unquote charge is like a light jog from like both sides. <laughs> like nobody runs that hard. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get out to the middle and they're just like. Hey, and everybody's <laughs> hugs, and that, they're hanging out, and uh, they're also like in the middle of the battlefield, which is like kind of like not the best place for them to be. But they did just add like I don't know, a few hundred, maybe maybe a thousand, maybe two thousand uh, dudes to the crew. But uh, they get they get lit up uh, pretty good when they send in the heavy cavalry and the. Uh, they start firing with the uh, Welsh longbowmen, and the tide turns pretty quick. And uh, William Wallace and his forces are not doing super great. And uh, William takes it on himself to uh, go chase down, uh, chase down this knight that's kind of been sitting in the back with uh, you know the British commander characters. And we we have no idea who he is. We have no idea who he is. He's got a full helmet on, and he he just kind of rides off and goes to get him, takes him down, and it ends up being Robert the Bruce, who's completely sold out the Scottish. At the same time, like the uh, the other noblemen have who are supplying like the Scottish cavalry, like they ride off and like don't support the rest of the troops because. Longshanks has offered them all deals and uh, basically bought them off. And so the uh, Scottish end up getting, they, they end up getting pounded like pretty hard in this fight. Uh, William does end up getting picked up by his boys though and does end up escaping, uh, but just barely. And uh, on a historical level, this loss, the loss at Falkirk is the name of the battle. Um, he took a pretty heavy hit to his uh, military reputation as well after this Um, and that kind of spurred him on to taking some other uh, more nefarious actions against some of the Scottish nobility as well oh yeah I mean he cleaned house yeah a lot of murders a lot of of fucking (laughs) murders but what came with that so Pretty much, and he has like the, he's got his whole like Jason Bourne like bail moment where he just like rides the horse out the window into the water, like at the end of Bourne Ultimatum. Hey, we can do that one next, buddy. That horse is very fake. Oh, don't! <laughs> it's not the fault of the horse, dude. It wasn't the horse. Did not horse. inhibit best picture. <laughs> no, it was. Um, it was one of those things where you're maximizing his power. But at the same time, he loses. And not only does he lose, the person that he thought could actually lead his people to freedom, if he would just lead them to freedom, did follow you and so would I. And that is a guy who betrays him. But at the same time, he escapes, like you said. 
And then that, in my mind, watching this just a million times, that is when the legend of William Wallace starts. I've heard William Wallace killed 50 men. A hundred men. <laughs> like, like Moses. Moses. the Red Sea. <laughs> and that's whenever it's like, all right, William Wallace, he just took his worst defeat, but he's still alive. He's still out there. And it's just this great bagpipe, just... I mean, it's it's one of the it's one of the all time scenes in movie history, and it's him just climbing a mountain, and everyone in Scotland is starting to buy in that William Wallace is just like this guy, the guy, so freaking cool. But I would say if if you have an issue, which here's the reason you you don't like different movies that go after history, but then they completely botch history. The fact that he fell in love with, quote-unquote, the princess of France who is in line for the throne, and they bang. They did. And it pretty much ends up with Robert the Bruce unknowingly giving up William Wallace. And this is, you know, if there's one word that goes with Braveheart, it's the word freedom. It's the exclamation of freedom at the end. William Wallace doesn't die on the battlefield. He doesn't die on his on his last whim, you know, swinging his sword. He is betrayed and given over to the English. And they're and the English are pretty much saying, "You're done. Like Scotland is done. Your rebellion is done. All you need to say is that you pay homage to England, and we will be merciful." And he and his whole thing is if if I break now then all that I am as a man is forfeit. And his girlfriend, who, by the way, I think William Wallace, just he's doing well for himself. Yeah, I will say, though, that historically she'd have been about three years old at the time, but it's no problem. Three years old? That's what I'm yeah, talking I had about. Yeah, like, I had to look up that timeline, and it did not shine pretty on Very good. Movie. Well, in, in this movie, she's very much not three. She's like 30, and... She, she, and this is by far and away my favorite part of the movie, which is she looks at him and she gives him this liquid that dissipates the pain that's about to come with him getting uh, tortured and all of his intestines are about to get pulled out. And he's like, I'm going to need my wits to keep me about because if I, if I wail uh, mercy, then all this is for naught. And she was like, well, it'll be so painful, you're going to die. And he says, the, in my opinion, the quote of the movie, every man dies, not every man really lives. And I'm just like, holy shit. Every single, I mean, I've, on the 50th watch to the first watch, that hits so much harder every time that you watch it. Every man dies, not every man really lives. And so, oh, yeah. If we're talking about if we're talking about like movie inaccuracies, the fact that he is in love with and is, you know, having um, a good time with the French princess. Because why am I bringing that up? <laughs> what does she tell Longshanks whenever he's on his deathbed? That she's got wa- wa- a William's kid, and, a, and <laughs> oh a, no doubt the, uh, the line dies with him. But I will, I will back you up on the uh, "not every man lives" line. Like it, it reminds me of another movie that I absolutely love, which is uh, "Lonesome Dove," where Gus is talking to Woodrow, and uh, he uh, Woodrow is just a very matter-of-fact individual, and Gus is a little bit more of a philosopher, and Woodrow continually like kind of misses the point of uh, Gus whenever he begins to wax poetic and he hits him with the line, by God, Woodrow, it's not dying. I'm talking about it's living. <laughs> and it's like, you that, brought that up, like a you brought really up point for, for that. No, it, I like, I watched this movie last night and it hits me the exact same way. It's like, it's, it is very real. And it's like, you, you have this like fatalist approach on the one hand where it's, you know, these people have 
you can you can have this perspective where it's like you know everybody ends up dying like it kind of is what it is whereas like these heroes like william wallace and Augustus mccray and individuals of that you know moral caliber are looking at their lives like no it's it's not about the finish line it's, it's about how well you did in getting there and there's so many parallels in life like that, that that resonates with and it's it is a really it is a really powerful uh motif in that movie both of them totally obviously. yes like every man lives not every or every man dies not every man really lives uh for me is like he's like i'm not looking for my victory i'm looking for a victory that is going to serve the purpose of people that are not yeah it's to the bitter end yes it's it's he he is doing his job the job that he never wanted to do but the job that we we've talked about like over the whole course of this deal that we've been talking like he looks been saying he has been appointed to this role and he's not going to do anything even when he knows that this is absolutely going to fucking suck he's not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize his ability to do, to perform in that role. Exactly. Absolute and, best and, and he looks at her and he's like, and she's in love with him. And so she's bawling her eyes out saying, please drink this so that I know you don't feel the pain that's about to hit you. And he's like, all right, fine. So he drinks it and she leaves and he spits it out. And that's whenever it goes into the, the torture scene, which is to date the most powerful i can't see what's happening but my brain is telling me so much worse than what i would actually be seeing because it just shows him in the veins in his neck him just getting absolutely rocked by the people just cutting him open and taking out all of his insides and and all the english people who were throwing things at him at the beginning are watching him just getting just enthralled and they start they start screaming mercy and I mean, the most famous part of the of the movie that everybody knows is, you know, the person who is in charge of <clears throat> taking out his freaking intestines <laughs> and torturing them is like just cry out, say the word, say mercy, do it. It's your time. And William Wallace nods with all of his intestines out, and he goes, "The prisoner would like to say a word," and he steps back, and William Wallace like gets up gets up just the strength to say one more word and he just screams out freedom <laughs> that's like that is what everyone knows from this movie and even even not screaming the word out you can hear it anyone that's seen the movie can hear it in their brain the word freedom and that is and and what's great is there there are two scottish soldiers his his two best friends in the crowd and they're they're just under their breath. They're pleading with him to just say, just say mercy, just say mercy, please, just let them kill you. Be done with this. And he says freedom, and they just put their head down like, you stubborn bastard. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a, is, it's that, one of the that, best. That like, still has not been duplicated. Scenes. Yeah, that still has not been, du- uh, been duplicated since I've seen that movie. It really. Uh, like again, as I was watching it, it reminds me a lot of uh, kind of the end of V for Vendetta, where he is talking to Mr. Creedy, and he's wondering like how like he's been shot so many times, and like this guy's not dead, and he goes, "Ideas are bulletproof," and like William's idea right there is freedom, and he's just like not gonna let the cause die, like he knows that like the best service he can perform for his role in the greater operation of getting uh you know freedom for scotland is to go down as uh a martyr this like martyr figure uh, exactly and like die for an idea an idea that is bulletproof an idea that like everyone can rally around it that's kind of how the movie ends where the narrator says which is robert the bruce's voice uh he says that he was chopped up, his limbs were sent to the four corners of England, and it did not have the uh, impact that the British anticipated. And it shows them like still rallying and continuing to fight. And like he 
But I think I think that's really kind of what ties his character together and makes him so appealing to the audience is that like it's this multifaceted character that like almost like like a very believable human version of Superman, a guy that can literally do anything, and yet at the same time he ends up dying, and yet by dying he ends up becoming almost immortal for this cause by like tying himself to this bulletproof idea of freedom that like continues uh to inspire the people of scotland in their fight for freedom and you see his frustration when he's talking to robert the bruce where they're going through the uh bureaucracy and he's like you and me are not the same this bureaucratic bullshit is not the same i don't have time for that i am fighting for the people and you are fighting for the people to empower you and robert the bruce follows him out and he goes and he just turns and he goes what does that mean to be noble? I am not noble. You are. And if you would just lead them to freedom, then they would follow you. And so would I. And you're just like, like, holy shit. You know, the, the first time that the French princess, whenever she hears, uh, Willie Wallace, cause she's, she's been told by English that by the English that he's just a brute. And then he goes, Oh, Francais, he would play. And she's like, Oh shit that's 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 my language and she goes you will not talk peace treaties with a woman and he's like it's not that you're a woman and she goes peace is made in such ways and he goes slaves are made in such such ways and he's like one day you're gonna be a queen and you need to open your eyes because and, and like that kind of shit like i don't care about the battle scenes i care about what this random character Whatever bathrooms didn't exist, put on the map about what we could be, right? And that that is why people in 2021, people who can watch movies with CGI, go back to these crappy battle scenes because William Wallace should be the best version of all of us, which is why you love it so much. But I think that you sometimes love the Scottish accent even more, but I could be wrong. I thought be true. <laughs> and there it is. But dude, I I mean this was this was long overdue. Um, pretty much the final scene, yeah, is that Robert the Bruce looks back to his army uh, his army and says, You bled with with Wallace, now come bleed with me and uh, you don't get to see the ending because frankly, like what you said, we don't know exactly who William Wallace was in history, but we know a great representation of like what that movement got to see and that Scotland is free. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think even, even more so is like, at least within like the microcosm of the pseudo fictional world that this movie creates like at the end, you have, you know, William dying and giving you this, like, basically like a call to action with his, like, sacrifice and, like, yelling out freedom, like, as he's being executed in this brutal manner. And the guy that he wanted to just heed the call more than anybody was Robert the Bruce. And Robert the Bruce, like, rallies, rallies the troops and gives him a speech. And it's not the best speech. He just says, you know, like you said, like, you guys bled with Wallace, now bleed with me. Like, it's not it's not near so rah-rah as, you know, what William Wallace was able to put together earlier in the movie. But uh, you don't really get to see, like, how Robert the Bruce led, like, after that. And I think that's kind of, like, that's kind of the point, is that, like, you leave Robert open-ended because it kind of on some level is... Like, the movie is calling you to the ideal of, like, kind of being the, the hero, the leader that uh, that William is. And you don't necessarily get to see the impact that it has on Robert the Bruce because it could be positive, it could be negative, but it's not really about him as much as it is about everybody that's listening to the message and how you, as a viewer, as, you know... Uh, a Scottish peasant in the 13th century AD uh, respond to that message. I think that 
the the last thing that I'll say to this, and just to give you an idea about not you, Dozier, you, the listener, the three of you. Um, oh, come on, dude. It's probably like six or eight. <laughs> is that, you know, me I'll and download Dozier, this one, my own pride. <laughs> See, my you know, I will, too. I will there, there's, to there's two right there. Um, is that <laughs> me and Dozier lived together for a long time, and there were talks for a long period of time of getting a dog. And we finally landed on a French bulldog. And there was and there was only one name that we were going to potentially give it. And that was Robert the Bruce. I, yeah, I mean, I I was not on board with that. I also recall <laughs> that it was an English bulldog, not a French bulldog. And well, we are not like, exactly fa- fans of the English in this podcast, dude. That's true, but the French didn't do shit either. So, like, who side are you going to take? <laughs> Dude, this was long overdue. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for, for getting on. But um, we've got two, three more movies. What's the next movie we're going to do? Oh, I I mean, Lonesome Dove. I, I could go all day about Lonesome Dove. Can't do that one. Can't do it. Uh, oh. I've got... If if I have to give you a, a right answer, do each episode. it would be either Star Wars or Lebowski. That's fucking interesting, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that, as they say, answers that. Dozier, have a good rest of your day, man. Adios, my friend. All right, thanks a lot. Bye.